Just so y'all know right now, this story will make more sense if you're from Texas. They canceled the fair three months before it was set to open. The worst part of it was that they kept promoting it right up until that announcement. While everything else was getting shut down and postponed, the fair kept stroking our excitement by mentioning new attractions, foods, and concerts. Then they told us to keep this energy for next year. We tried to petition. We demonstrated outside of the mayor's office. We even staged a sit-in at the fairgrounds. None of it worked. By all accounts, there would be no fairs anywhere in the state this year. Then we had an idea. With about six weeks until the fair was supposed to open, we figured we could pull some resources and start our own. Naturally, this would require a certain amount of secrecy. If we went and set it up in an open parking lot or something, we'd get shut down faster than a blitz and cornerback gets his hands on deck. We had some discussions about how it needed to be underground. Then, after a few more days of meetings, we realized that was our solution. Jeannie lived with her sister in the Meadow Pines trailer park down by the Good Denny's. She used to always tease her sister when she'd brag about having the biggest mobile home in the park, claiming there's literally no mobile home worth bragging over. Yet, now she needed her help. Being the biggest trailer on the lot, hers would be the perfect cover for the gig. The plan was simple. Excavate underneath the trailer, set up some booths, stages, etc., and then spread the work. With her sister being one of the biggest fair fanatics she knew, she'd met both her baby daddies there, Jeannie figured she'd be in on principle alone. Throw in some free tickets and a take of the gate, and there'd be no problem at all getting her to cooperate. Next, we'd be getting a team down there to tear into the ground. This was a real problem because we'd need at least 30 or so feet to be comfortable, and it would need to go underneath almost the entire trailer park. Of course, we would need to reinforce the ground the entire time, too. The logistics were like trying to stop Kingsbury's 2015 air raids at Jerry World. Just a total nightmare. I made a call to my friend Stax, who worked a day job in construction and had access to some of that equipment. He already owed me a long-standing favor from when I got him a spot spinning his shitty set at a rave when we were just out of high school. If he was being a dick about it, I could always threaten him with putting the cops on the spots he liked to sell his Zans. The only thing left would be the vendors, and I think it was safe to assume they'd be down for anything that meant they wouldn't starve from missing an entire fair season. We'd have to contact them last, though, once everything else was settled. Because, much like you right now, I'm sure they'd think this was all some kind of prank. Or, at the very least, a juvenile attempt with almost no shot to actually materialize. Well, think what you will, but Texas was not going to go two full years without a fair. My crew and I were ready to sacrifice anything and everything to make sure of that. Construction started on the 11th. At first, we thought about just grabbing shovels and starting ourselves. That way, we wouldn't have to deal with stacks at all. But when our ambitions started swelling, we knew we'd need heavy machinery. In addition to all that, we'd need to get everyone in the park on board, because there was no way we'd sneak it past the hordes of welfare recipients that spent all day in their trailers. So, I called a meeting. In short, I told the residents the truth, that we were going to launch our own fair, right here, underneath Jeannie's sister's double-wide. 
All we'd need from them is a little understanding on the noise and such, and for them to keep their mouths shut. They wouldn't need to move anything, pay anything, or be inconvenienced in any other way. Then when we launched, they'd get free admission and food vouchers. They were initially reluctant. These were Texans, after all, and they valued their property rights. So I changed my approach and told them exactly that. We were all proud Texans, and when have we ever let big government wrangle us? When had we ever let anything wrangle us? We certainly didn't do that at the Alamo. We descended from the brave souls who defended that post. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now it's our turn. All we asked for was a little understanding with the temporary noise and rumbling. And maybe, if or when the cops come around, no one knows anything, you know? That would be all it would take to give us all our fare. Just like we should have, anyway. Looking back, I probably had them in the palm of my hand from when I said proud Texans. I didn't even have to remind them that the President and Congress made that anti-fair mandate in Washington Redskins territory. Gross. By the 28th, it was done. A full-scale fair was all set up underneath the double wide, and we ended up getting very ambitious. Our initial plan was for 10 food vendors, eight game booths, a dozen or so crafts and goods vendors, and maybe a few rides. We were talking 50K square feet tops, which is a ton if you think about how we were literally digging this from the ground down. Well, it was about 120K by the time we were through. Underneath Jeannie's sister's double wide lay 32 food booths, including eight different barbecue pits that we had to funnel smoke from. 22 game booths riddled with prizes bigger than most children. 42 crafts and good vendors. Three different exhibition areas with special sections for local artists and important moments in Texas history. Of course, a big section on the Alamo. And over 32 rides, including a 100-foot Ferris wheel, a go-kart track, a ski lift, and that big-ass zipper thing fairs always have. Yeah, everything is bigger in Texas, but this was actually starting to rival the state fair. The word spread around easily enough. Like I said, we were all Texans, and we all needed our fair. Before opening day came around, we sold over 500 season passes and another couple hundred coupon books. With just a week until opening night, we were all set with booth workers, maintenance, volunteers, lots of security, and just about anything else. If you wanted to experience a fair in 2020, all you had to do was head down by the double wide. For two weeks, we had it made. Hundreds of people came through our gates and spent thousands of dollars. But more importantly, they had the times of their lives. We saw families buying their kids fried PB&Js, boys winning Disney-licensed stuffed animals for their gals, and people of all ages line dancing to live music. The best part was one we didn't even think of. With this whole thing being within the earth itself, it was cool as hell. Made me even consider building a summer house down there to get away from that merciless August sun. This was a day-by-day -day operation, though. Be sure of that. We had about 70 security guards working at all times to make sure we never got the cops called on us. Fortunately, because this was so deep in the ground, 
No one could get any service or Wi-Fi, so there was no need to confiscate phones or kick out wannabe influencers. We had a few badges that wised up, saw the barbecue smoke, or overheard some loudmouth raving about their good time. But they mostly used their leverage to get free admission and beer, so it wasn't a big issue. Our security team was also looking out for other suspect folk. We weren't stupid enough to think criminals wouldn't see our affair as the perfect cover to conduct their nasty business. We had a few cases of drugs, prostitutes, and more than a few criminal syndicates trying to conduct meetings and transactions in the safest place for this kind of work in the state. Naturally, we had to metal detect and create a gun-free zone. Sure, it cost us a few 2A NRA types, even after explaining that we knew it sounded weird, but the best way to rebel against tyranny right now was actually to give up your guns. It doesn't bother us much, though. We weren't in this for the money. It was much deeper than that. Well, I should say it wasn't about money to all of us. When the park became filled to capacity nearly every evening, Jeannie started asking about how much we were taking in before taxes, she joked. I didn't think much of it, because poor people are always interested in how much money other people have. So I told her to stick with the counters after closing if she wanted to see the report. Suddenly, a good chunk of our crew began taking an interest in business accounting. So I knew there was trouble brewing. None of us had expected to host a legit fair underneath a trailer home. We had thought it would be a small operation to give some people a taste of what they looked forward to all year. We should have listened to Dr. Dre when he told us. Because as it turned out, the business end of this shit turned our friends against us. What ended up happening was sometime around the third week of operation, security caught some little pissant with a bag of perks trying to sell them out of one of the porta-potties. We actually caught him off a sting operation using an 11-year-old, if you can believe it. We bounced this turd into the holding room and got one of our top guys to interrogate him. Oxy wasn't too popular this far from Houston, so he had to have had a special supplier. We didn't really care who gave it to him, but we wanted to know what the big picture was. Remember, we were only planning to run another two weeks, but if we had big-time dealers trying to move their junk through our fair we would have some major problems way before then. Turned out that this kid was given the perks by a shady character outside of Whataburger after sparking up a convo about how he had been making so much cash moving some new product. All this kid could tell us was he was a Latino dude with a Des Bryant jersey on, aka nothing that could distinguish him from the hundreds of other dudes we see down here every day. We confiscated the pills, cut him loose, and told him not to show his face in this fair again. Like dumbasses, we thought that would end it. But, of course, it was just the beginning. The next night, we had fights breaking out all over the fairgrounds. We knew they were coordinated because we got calls almost every 20 minutes on the dot. After getting a hold of a few punks and finally deciding that it wasn't worth the time trying to get a name, we had to dig a little deeper. 
Naturally, we went right to Stacks for this task. As the closest thing to a dealer we knew, we all figured he must know some contacts in the game, and he could maybe work out something to get the big pushers to lay off the fare for the remaining two weeks. Like a true scumbag, he denied he knew anyone and had the balls to think we'd let him off the hook. I just took him aside and spoke plainly. I even called him by his birth name, Theodore. I told him, we need these guys to stop or we'll lose the fare. It could even get so bad as to have the cops raid us. That's not just seizing assets and shutting down this cash cow. But it could also mean legit jail time. Drug dealers always get spooked when you talk prison. So, I told him anything he could do to smooth it over and make it go away would be good for everyone involved. The way he nodded and scurried out didn't instill much faith. But nothing Stacks ever did put me at ease. So I let it go. The next time I saw him would be when the feds led me and about a dozen others into the riot van. After the raid. I talk a lot of shit about the cops. The feds. Anything involved with government, really. But I have to give them credit for getting me pens, paper, and other stuff to write this out. They'll probably just call it a confession, but whatever. I don't want this to go without anyone knowing why we did it. Or even that we did it. Much of this story might be shocking, but the fact that the half-tarred wannabe DJ who used to sell his leftover Xanax to middle school kids ruined it for everyone should come as a surprise to no one. I try not to think about how he's the one getting the best plea deal. After I had the talk with him, he went right to his supplier. The guy told him that it was Tommy Galtieri who was sending goons down to the fair to start shit since we cracked down on his perk pipeline. I had no idea the mob operated in this part of Texas. Mostly because they didn't. Word spread fast and the family heard about this underground operation all the way in Boca Raton, Florida. So they sent guys down here to move Zans, perks, H, and whatever else they could. I also didn't think this part of Texas was a market for that junk, but I learned the hard way the drugs sell anywhere. To make a long story as painless as possible, Stax set a meeting with the go-to guy for Galtieri that was overseeing the fair deals, and instead of standing up to him, remember the Alamo? He took a cut from their take in exchange for making sure they didn't have any problems selling an hour fare. Stax went ahead and paid off some of our security, and the pills started flowing again. Of course, the more drugs that came in, the more the dirty cops started to get it in their heads that they deserved a cut of this pipeline, too. Not only that, but word was getting up to the surface. So we didn't just have local rangers sniffing around outside. Now we had the feds' attention. Eventually, a few kids OD'd on the fairgrounds, and... There was nothing left to do but wait. Sure enough, two days later, we had dozens of faceless feds and their cheap windbreakers making their way down Jeannie's sister's double wide and latching zip ties on everyone's wrists. Before we could realize what was happening, they booted down the door of our office. 
then got me, Jeannie, and about four others belly down with their knees on our backs. They put us in metal cuffs. The jacked up thing was that once we were locked up, I learned the rest. There was over $70,000 in cash recovered from the trailer. Since we took trips to safety deposit boxes twice a day, it didn't take long for me to figure out that meant they both were skimming from the top. The fact that they were stupid enough to store it under a mattress in the double wide made it that much worse. Maybe my biggest mistake was believing in an honest cause or thinking that piles and piles of cash could be ignored for the glory of Texas and its people. In the end, the government seized all that cash, shut down our fare, and now, as we await trial, they can put us in prison for 15 to 25. An act of rebellion for the preservation of freedom, ending in almost the complete removal of it, I couldn't have written it any worse. All this because I loved Texas just a little too much. That was Down by the Double Wide, written and produced by me, Josh Ramirez, and performed by the amazing Faith Kearns. Thank you so much for listening and for spreading the word. We're going to go ahead and do all horror stories in October, so every Monday we'll have a spooky story. Then season one ends with a five-part finale, Other People's Money, in November. Also, my first novel, Angie's Move, is now available in ebook on Amazon, and it'll be on paperback soon, so make sure you check that out. And if you want to read these, they're on the Wattpad. If you want to see the cover art, it's at Company Time on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Monday.